I'll let you guys go. Hey, don't forget, we've got a number of things happening over Christmas, so just grab that little flyer down there and you can just see all the Christmas services and what's happening over this month of December. Uh, but very exciting, obviously, tonight with our um, carols and Christmas, our very short, it's not like the big Christmas production, but it's just this little short one that'll just be a blessing, I'm sure, that the, the, um, the play tonight, so that's great. Hey, last week I just started a two-part series on the uniqueness of Jesus, and we're just talking about how unique Christ is. I just want to finish that this morning, and I just want to turn to Matthew's account of the of the situation and of the events that happened just before the birth of Jesus. So uh, in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25, I want to read those verses to you. Um, I'm just going to read from the New International Version. I believe it will come up on the screen as well, but here we go. It's always good to talk about Jesus, isn't it? Thank you. Was that you, Bruce? It sounded like a child. Oh, I'm back there. <laughs> Uh, Matthew 18, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was, a, was faithful to the law. And, and New King James says he was, a, um, he was a man of upstanding character. And yet he did not want to expose Mary to public disgrace. He had it in his mind to divorce her quietly. Now remember, Jewish culture said that you know you kind of you got kind of committed to each other, but and, and kind of had something of a marriage ceremony, but for a year the wife went back and lived with her family, or lived with her family still until at least until you finally done the second part of the kind of the ceremony and she came and moved into your house as the husband. So people may think, well, he was going to divorce her, weren't they just engaged? No, no. In Jewish culture, it was a bit more than engagement. Okay, it was they were committed. They were a committed couple, but it's just that they didn't live together for at least a year until he finally brought her into her home. So that's why it says Joseph had in his mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Wouldn't you love it, guys, if God would just give you a dream of the girl to marry like that? Wouldn't that be exciting? Good. Didn't happen that way for me, but, you know, pretty close. Anyway, I thought she was the angel. <laughs> Where are we up to? Verse 21. Uh, she'll give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had, had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. And verse 25, last verse, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. There's, there's Luke's account, there's the four different accounts of the birth of Jesus, but I've picked Matthew's because it just is, there's some wonderful, concise thoughts here around what happened just before the birth of Jesus. I was uh, four years of age when I first encountered the whole birth of Jesus story, you know? I was only four because I was in my local little kindergarten and, um, and my acting career started at the age of four and I played the part of Joseph. Uh, very excited. But the truth is, um, 
there wasn't a lot to do. Uh, all I had to do was kind of stand there next to the little feed trough, the manger with the little baby doll in there, next to this little girl, Mary, who I don't even remember who she was. But anyway, I was four. You don't remember those type of things. And then we had three wise men and we had three shepherds and we had some bales of hay and, and we had um, some stuffed animals. And, and, uh, and then all the parents, we sang Silent Night. That's what I do remember. We our big number was Silent Night, and all the parents clapped, and were all proud of their little kids, and we all went home, and you know what? I really didn't know what it was all about. As a four-year-old, I wouldn't have a clue. The only reason I can even tell you about this story now is because my mother took a picture, and I was just reminiscing, and I saw the picture uh, this week again of me standing there as little Joseph with the gown on. How embarrassing, a gown. And I had this handkerchief on my head with a headband, and uh, that was Joseph, you know. That was my whole life there wrapped up as the part of Joseph. And um, the truth is, I really honestly didn't understand what was happening, but it was that first encounter. I really came to understand the whole story of the birth of Christ when I got to the age of 13, because that's when I personally committed my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think I read the story for the first time, and I started to grasp the birth was quite different. The birth of Jesus wasn't, wasn't just like normal births. It, there was a whole set of circumstances that were quite unique. Um, some may say strange. I just think they were different and unique. And, uh, and reading it for the first time helped me to realize in hindsight, ah, so that's what was happening when I was four. And uh, I played the part of Joseph. The interesting thing is when I was 16, um, there was... Uh, we were doing another kind of, not the nativity scene, we were doing the um, Easter, it was Easter time, and it was this stone rolled away scene, and, uh, and it was put on the back of a truck, and it was the Easter um, Harbour Festival parade, and uh, we made this big kind of um, tomb, and a stone was rolled away, and the sign was put up, he's not here, he's risen, and, and so the minister was asking, who wants to play the part of the two women, you know, Mary and someone else, and guess what? No one put their hand up except me and another friend of mine called John. And so, so I must be the only person. And I knelt there. And the only reason I played the part is because we had to kneel there with a veil over our heads. And praise God, no one knows to this day except you that um, it was two guys and not two girls who were kneeling at the empty tomb. So I must be the only person in history who's played both Mary and Joseph. There we go. Mm. <sighs> I'm glad I just got that off my chest. It's been bottled up for decades. <laughs> but you have to, you'd have to admit that the birth of Christ and the events around Christ's birth were quite unique and, and different. I mean, Mary, Mary conceived in not the conventional way. It was through the Holy Spirit. Joseph, who was you know, had promised to marry her, you know, was, was in a dream, told the child will be a boy. And as I, and, and, and as I said last week, no ultrasound needed. It's a boy. Um, and then if that wasn't enough, the angel said to Joseph, his name will be Jesus. You'll call him Jesus. And if that wasn't enough, they even said, not only will his name be called Jesus, but he's, he'll be called Jesus, but they'll actually call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. How confusing is that? It's, it's just very unique, isn't it? It's not like the normal things that happen around the birth of a person. So I wanted to uh, ask you the question, what is it 
in it for us that we can learn or we can take a hold of through the uniqueness of Christ coming into this world. What can we learn? What would God want to speak to our hearts about today? And as I just look at this, I pray that it'll be a blessing. I did mention, let me just, I'll just very quickly recap from some of the couple of things I said last week, but I, the uniqueness of Christ, why was Christ's birth unique? And the first thing was his coming was pre-announced unlike anyone else in history. It was pre-proclaimed. It was prophesied. Um, do you know there's over 300 prophecies about Jesus' birth, his life, and his death? And they've, every one of them have come to pass. Incredible. You know, you've got other so-called... There was a lot of people who came through history that said they were God, or they said they came from God, like Confucius and Muhammad and Buddha. But you know, none of them can stand up to the test of pre-announcement. Because none of them had anything written about that they pre-announced or pre-proclaimed about their birth. Not one of them. Now, some of them claim, Muhammad claimed that, you know, some things. But it was never proven. It's never been shown. There's no documentation. Do you know, there's not only scriptural prophecy. Because in the scriptures, it just says, Matthew quotes Isaiah in chapter 7, verse 14, when he, when he talks about it in Matthew 1, 23. He's saying, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. This is from Isaiah. This is hundreds of years earlier. Isaiah said this. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel. That, that wasn't just something Matthew thought up on the spot. No, that was prophesied literally hundreds of years by the prophet Isaiah. And there's just not scriptural evidence for the pre-announcement pre, um, pre of Jesus' birth. There's a couple of guys called Plato and Socrates. Plato, 400 years before Christ's birth. Socrates, 700 years before Christ's birth. They, said, they both said and proclaimed and wrote down, there will be a universal king come to the earth. Talking about Christ. So, wow, there's a lot of stuff about Jesus. Um, do you know why that's so good for you and me this morning to know that? Because it strengthens our faith and understanding that our belief is not in some myth or some mythological person that maybe existed. No, he really did exist. There's a, he's on a real historical person. So it can strengthen our faith that our Savior lived and walked and faced earth, faced the realities of humanity. And not only does it strengthen our faith because he's real, it strengthens my faith because we live in an uncertain world, don't we? Uncertain world, that's not being negative, it's just the uncertainty. I don't know what's going to happen next week, I don't know what's going to happen next year. But in the midst of that, if God the Father can organize and put together Christ's birth so intimately and so wonderfully and so accurately over hundreds and hundreds of years... Couldn't he look after me? Why can't I trust him in my uncertainties to know that he can look after me the same? Because that's the kind of God we serve. The other thing that I mentioned was the uniqueness of Christ's birth is because Jesus' birth split time. You have BC, you have AD, you have before Christ, you have AD, which means in the year of my Lord. It was a Latin terminology. And so when I tell you that I was born 1,963 years before Christ's birth, I'm actually kind of pointing you to the fact, and you can point to the fact too, because every time you celebrate your birthday is a testimony to his existence. Because it's 1,963 I was born, 1,963 years since Christ was born. Everybody, you can't run away from that. The, focal, the point is, he split time. He's the focal point of time. That's Jesus. 
What an incredible thing. Even if you're here today and don't believe in Jesus, or maybe today you'll talk to people who don't believe in Jesus, the reality is, is they can't get away from the fact that they were born, and when they celebrate their birthday, it actually kind of speaks of his existence all the time. So the third thing that was interesting about the uniqueness of Christ's birth, he lived his life backwards. And you might say, what do you mean by that? Well, the reality is, is that if he, if he wasn't going to die on a cross, there was no reason for him to be born. Because Revelations chapter 13 verse 8 says, The Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. So Christ knew that his destiny before he was conceived and born into this world was that he would live for 33 years. He would be born, live, and then he would die on a cross for the salvation of humanity. He knew that. And so the cross cast the shadow on the manger in a sense. Because if there was never going to be the death, it was th there didn't need to be the birth. And so in that way, he lived his life knowing the future and what was going to happen. So it's interesting. Matthew says in this verse we read today, in verse 21 of chapter 1 of Matthew, she will give birth to a son, talking about Mary, and you're to give him the name Jesus, talking about Joseph, give him the name Jesus, because he will what? He will save his people from their... Just for a sec, you're there? You're gonna, he's going to save the people from their sins. So even before he was born... Certainly, he was conceived at this moment. He was in the stomach, in the womb of Mary. But, you know, he was born. He's going to be born to save people from their sins. And that is referring to the relevant situation of his death on a cross that we celebrated and that we remembered this morning around communion. Um, and so without the cross, there's no reason for the manger. And the truth is, the strange events surrounding his birth makes all the more sense in the light of knowing that he's willing to die for humanity. Knowing that there was a point where he's going to die, we can understand the interesting and unique events around his birth. So, let me go on. Number four, number four about Christ's uniqueness that I find it, it totally inspiring and totally encouraging and total blessing to me personally, I think for all of us, because it really does identify with all of us this morning, this uniqueness of his birth and why, is because he had an eternal prehistory. He had an eternal prehistory. Let me help you understand this. Jesus has a backstory. We all have backstories. Do you know what backstories are? It's, it's what makes you kind of who you are today. It's what's happened in your past. It's, it's all those events that are unfolded in life to get you to this point today. Here on that, what's the date today? It's the 9th. 9th of December 2018, to this point, everything that's happened has unfolded, and there's things that have been good, and there's things that have been bad. My backstory, to put it in a few sentences, I was born, that's always a good place to start, apparently when I was born, I don't remember this, but I was taken to the Brisbane Royal Children's Hospital because I had a fairly major health complaint that possibly would going to take me out, and I wouldn't get past six months of age, praise God. Um, they thought I was going to die. I didn't. Isn't that? That's always a good story. <laughs> and I didn't. I pulled through in my lungs, which were the problem, expanded and grew when I started to be normal. And praise God from mum and dad, and my mum's here today, that brought, saw me through that. But ultimately, I look at that and say, well, God, you gave me a chance. Maybe your hand was upon me right there. 
So I suppose it's kind of made me think about how I need to use my life now. If I got a chance to live and not go to heaven straight away, which would have been nice. Sometimes for us, we get a little upset when infants die. And for us, it is a grieving moment that any infant would ever pass away or any miscarriage. But the reality is for them, they've gone from the warmth of a womb to the glory of heaven. They're enjoying life. It's just hard for us, isn't it? But anyway, that's another message. Um, so I, I, I pulled through. I lived. I grew up. I was born in Gympie. I grew up on a little farm outside of Gympie till about the age of five. I moved into Gympie, went to school. At the age of 13, or age of 10, I moved to Gladstone. I committed my life to the Lord Jesus Christ on an island beach one day with my cousin who led me to the Lord. And here I am today. How's that? That's my backstory. You've all got a backstory. You've all got a point that's led you to this point today. We all have a past. Jesus had an incredible past. You might think, oh, well, you know, you're talking about his life. No, I'm talking about his heritage and his genealogy. If you look at that, um, well, this, just for a moment, let's look at, let me just read this verse. John chapter 1, verses 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. You've got to read that. Is that the kind of verse you've got to read about ten times? Because it's like, what? <laughs> in the beginning was the word. The word was God. The word was God. He was in the beginning. You know, just, but what it's saying is this. Before he was called Jesus, he was called the word. He was called the word. And, and when he was born, they gave him the name Jesus because that's when he got flesh and blood on him. So he had a backstory before he was, before he was born. And as the word, he lived from the beginning as the word. And, he had, and if, if, if you'd lived when Jesus was walking around the earth and you got a chance to interview him, you know, and say, Jesus, um, where did you come from? That's a good question. Where did you come from? That's a good one. We all want to know. Where did you come from? And Jesus would have said, oh, well, from the beginning. <laughs> Great answer. Mm, yeah, can you give me some more detail on that? Um, what do you mean? Well, he said, oh, when everything was being made, I was there. You mean, you mean back in the garden, you know, back in the creation, in the first chapter of Genesis? Yeah, I was there. In actual fact, I was not just there. I was there, and I was the one who was making it. Because it says in Scripture, doesn't it? It says it. So Jesus' story is, goes back to eternity before history began, before you ever have read history books about humanity, Jesus was before then. And remember, he said to the Jews one day in John chapter 8, verse 58, he said this, before Abraham was born, I am. So even before Abraham was around, Jesus was way back then before that. So there's quite a prehistory. He existed. He was given the name Jesus, of course, meaning saviour, and uh, because he, the express purpose of dying for the sins of people, dying for our failures. And, uh, and, he, and yet being a saviour, yet he was like us, but he was still God. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? So this baby in a manger was unlike anyone else who ever existed before him. And to be honest, anyone who ever exists after him... Um, it was amazing. His conception, folks, you've got to get this point. His conception was not the beginning. His conception was just part of the journey for him. You know what I mean? The beginning was way back there, and his conception was just another part of his journey, an exciting part. 
came into the womb of Mary, was born, grew up, um, and became, you know, uh, incredible saviour for the world. And then, of course, was, we crucified him at the age of around 33, and he died for the sins. But thankfully, he rose again. You know, there's a great story there, isn't it? So he was from the beginning. But here's the other po- point that I alluded to before. Jesus had another part of his story that was to do with his human genealogy. It just wasn't his, just wasn't his heavenly one, but there's a human genealogy because through the line, the bloodline of Joseph, his earthly father, not his biological father. Remember, he had a heavenly father. He had an earthly father called Joseph. Joseph didn't father him biological, but biologically, but Joseph certainly fathered him as he grew up. And through that bloodline of Mary and, and um, Joseph, Jesus had a genealogical history of quite interesting. It makes for some interesting reading. You can read about it in the Old Testament. So um, if you would look at Jesus' relatives, I don't know what your relatives are like, or, and you don't know what my relatives are like, but we can look at what Jesus' relatives were like. He had a, um, a lady in his relative in his bloodline called Tamar. She was a prostitute. Now, just to have one prostitute, now, it was probably a bit of a blotch on his family line, but he had two because he had another one called Rahab, who was an incredible help to the, uh, to the Jewish nation at the time. Um, so, two prostitutes. And then he had this lady called Ruth, who was, a, who was not Jewish. She was a Moabite. Um, she wasn't, and, so, and she worshipped idols until she came into the Jewish family of God. So that's interesting, you know, a couple of ladies, prostitutes, one was an idol worshipper. And then there was Bathsheba and David. They kind of messed up real big. David, you know, committed adultery with Bathsheba, vice versa, and then got rid of her husband and literally kind of murdered him. And so, you know, it was like, you know, on television you have those soap shows. I don't watch them. But, you know, days of our lives or... Um, I think even Neighbours is like that now. You know, who would watch Neighbours? Far out. I'd never watch Neighbours, but you know, maybe some of you do, but it's not real. Can I just share that with you? Yeah, it's not real. <laughs> but David, Jesus' bloodline was real. They had some interesting situations. So we, um, we see Jesus... Um, if you read Jesus' story back then, um, people had some blotches in their lives. Uh, and it was far from perfect family. It had made for some very interesting reading. It's a kind of, but you know, this is what I love about that. What can we gain from that thought? This is the interesting thing. Doesn't it kind of foretell the kind of love that Jesus would have for people with blotches in their lives? Doesn't it kind of set up that why Christ came? That he came for the human he, humanity, he came for the good and the people who have maybe had some blotches and some stains and some failures. Because it, it literally says, Matthew said this in chapter 9 verse 12, listen to this. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. So Jesus came for the sick, he came for the sick in heart, he came for the sick in soul, he came for the sick in body, he came for people... And the question that I asked myself was when I read that verse in Matthew 9, 12, who are the well? And the answer that I come up with is I have a tendency to think that we all have a need of Jesus because we all have some elements of sickness 
at different moments in our lives, would you agree? Some different times where we just think this is not as healthy as it should be right now. So Jesus came. Jesus had a love for people who have a past that isn't pretty. He has a love for people who have some blotches. Why? Because even his own family had some family members who had some pretty major blotches in their life. But isn't it amazing that they're all welcomed into the family of God? All those people, all those Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and David and Bathsheba, there's a redeeming quality in Christ that reaches out to humanity and says, I just want you to know I've got a hope and a future for you, despite the blotches and failings and the sins of life. I've got a future and a hope. See, Jesus delights in taking people with terrible pasts and bringing them into families and giving them so much better chance for life. And that's what Christ... And I think it's reflected even in Jesus' eternal past and his genealogy on this earth, isn't it? Um, Interesting. Here's the other thing that I find quite inspiring and encouraging. Jesus, the last thing, number five, Jesus was the only child whose mother resembled him. You might say, how does, that, how does that play out? Well, you think about it for a moment. Um, see, when, our, when we have a child come into the family, we all look at that child and say, oh, he looks like his father, or he looks like his mother, or she looks like a mother, or, or, or a sister, or whatever. I remember our first daughter, um, someone said to her once in our church here, oh, you look just like your dad. And she came to us as a little five-year-old and said, Dad, I don't want to grow up as a male like you, a man. I don't want to... She completely misunderstood what the person was lovingly saying. I had to explain to her, no, no, honey, it just, it just says you've got some features that look like me and you're, not gonna be, you're gonna be a girl all your life, you know. You're not gonna change to a man, you're just gonna, you know. Anyway, we worked that one through, she's normal now. Um, we sorted that one out. Um, and all my daughters now realize they're, they're very much women. So Jesus was different when Jesus was born. Uh, the, you know, and Mary took Jesus in his arms. She mightn't have realized it, but right there, she's looking at her creator. Because it says in Scripture, John 1, 3, through him all things were made, talking about Jesus. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So when she sees Jesus in her arms for the first time, this beautiful little baby boy, Jesus, she's looking at the creator and savior of her life. Isn't that amazing? And so in many ways, the Word of God says that we were created in His image, not physically speaking, but His heart message, His passions, his, his, the things that God wants us to have, His love and joy and peace. And so as she's looking, she's thinking, well, we could say now in hindsight, quite literally, Mary has got to be looking like Him and not Jesus like her because she was made in the image of her God right there in her arms. Amazing, isn't it? And you and I are the same. We've been created in his image, image to live. And if he's created us and he's assembled us and he's knit us together in our mother's womb, wouldn't it make sense that he's the one who would best be to put his hands upon our life and help us to do life so much better? So many people run from God because they think, oh, God, 
how could God ever know? I want to tell you, he came as a child and he lived life and he identified with humanity and he he knows best how we can do life and that's why we need to surrender our life to him because he knows how how to do life best for us as well. Creator. How amazing to think that the one who made the sun needed the warmth of swaddling clothes or just another name for cloth (laughs) and a feed trough to keep him warm. Hey? He made the sun, and yet he needed to be kept warm. How amazing the one who was, who was the living word with all its principles and laws, and yet he was there in Bethlehem because of a human law to go and register in the census, and that's what Joseph and Mary. He made the laws, and yet he had to bow to that law to go and be registered. Well, his mum and dad did anyway. How amazing the one who clothed the grass and the flowers of the field was himself naked, though he was wrapped in a bit of a blanket. See, he humbled himself, didn't he? How amazing the one whose hands fashioned the planets, and yet he was too tiny to reach out and just even touch one of those little animals in the stable that night. He couldn't do that, and yet he could manifest the amazing things across this universe. He was salvation in a manger, and God uh, reached out. It was the least expected place to find God, in a feed trough, in a little backward village, quite small, Bethlehem. Uh, and there you'll see uh, you know, this little village, and that's where Jesus was born. I was thinking about and contemplating, some people can gra- can't grasp the fact that God would do all this for us. Through his son Jesus. Some people struggle with that. I just invite the musos to come if you could, please. And our worship team. You know why people can struggle with the message of Jesus? It's because we can be so focused on doing it ourselves. Now, you know, I can, you know. I can, I can work my way to heaven or I can do, I can, I'm a good person. Surely God would accept me. And you know, he does. He loves good people just as much as he loves people who have got blotches and failures and sin. But the reality is we needed a savior. We needed Christ. We needed an answer for our sin. We needed forgiveness. We needed the shame to be taken away. We needed the failures to be forgiven. We needed somebody. And Jesus was that person. Um, and even in society... People who don't acknowledge God, they all look for, they all look to be forgiven. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, one of the qualities of humanity to be forgiven for where they've blown it. You know, a young couple and one of the, the husband blows it and gets involved with another woman. He, he looks for forgiveness if he needs to be restored back to that lady. He, he needs forgiveness. Where did that forgiveness come from? It comes from God. Someone blows it at work and, and messes up and seeks the boss's forgiveness. I'm sorry, I won't do it again. Where does that forget? It comes from God. We, we all need that opportunity to be forgiven. And Jesus gives us that opportunity. Not just um, kind of just once. He says, once and for all, I can forgive you. I can give you a hope and a future. And I can be your savior. And that's Christ. But you know what? We have to bow our hearts to that. It's a throwing off that cloak of pride sometimes and throwing off that, that sometimes I can do it myself. 
and humbly coming before God. You know, as the wise men came to Jesus, sometime in that time period um, when Je- after Jesus was born, the wise, three wise men came. And they, the first thing they did is they come into that stable, cave, whatever it was, is they bent their knee. They kneeled down and they worshipped him and offered the gifts. They humbled themselves. They knew they didn't know everything. They were wise men. They knew a lot, but they didn't know everything. And that attitude gave them the opportunity. They bowed their knee and they bowed their heart to the Savior of the world. And they gave the gifts. And humility is the prerequisite for, for the, to become a believer in Christ. This, it's one of the, the, the focal points. Because when you can humbly say, God, I just need you in my life. And... You then can go the next step and you can believe in him and you can confess with your mouth and believe in your heart in the Lord Jesus Christ and you can have him come into your life and you can start to live as a Christian, live for him, not just live for yourself and in our selfish way, but live for him. So would we stand this, this morning? This Christmas... It's going to be great for a number of reasons. I always love Christmas because there's family, there's food, there's presents. But as you get a bit older, you really don't look to the presents. Mind you, I still want a couple. (laughs) But, you know, why not make this Christmas special by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ for the very first time? Or maybe you do believe, but you've got to actually, it says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. So could we close our eyes for a moment? And I just want to invite you today. I want to pray with you where you are today. If you've never taken a step of commitment to Christ, please understand it's a step of commitment. It's not just a step of a nice little prayer and, oh, well, you yeah, know, that's fine. I'm, no, no, it's a step of commitment and saying, yeah, I just need to be a follower of Jesus. I need to put him first in my life and receive him. Why not make it this Christmas season that you do that? Why not this morning? And I invite you by just lifting your hand if you want to say yes to Christ for the first time. Or maybe it's again that you know you just need to come back to him and put him first. Just in this sacred moment, just lift your hand. I see that hand and say, yep, behind your hand is saying, my heart, I'm responding to Jesus. And yeah, pray for me, please. Not my prayer is more powerful. Thank you. Ma'am, I see that hand. You can put it down. Sorry, anybody over here? Just keep it till I see it. Okay. Well, church, how about this morning, just for the sake of one, if there's no one else, we're not going to prolong this, but just this one person said yes. How about we pray just a simple prayer? You can repeat it after me. Last Sunday we did it as well, and there's a person who responded again this Sunday. That's exciting. All heaven rejoices, doesn't it? Come on. So let's do this. And For my precious friend, my Lady, would you please verbalize this prayer as we all would together. Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I thank you for what you've done for me. You were born. You died. You rose again. I can be forgiven. I accept that. And I accept you, Jesus, into my life. And I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that God 
You raised Jesus from the dead so that I too can be raised out of my old life into new life right now. And I do that and I receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, I thank you today for my sister and I ask that you would continue the wonderful work that you know to have begun, but strengthen her as she seeks to walk with you and for you. And we thank you, Father, for everybody else here today. Uh, Father, I, I rejoice in the fact that, Lord, you could organize your son's birth. Boy, you can organize my life. And I just say I renew my trust with you today. I thank you for the, you are not a myth, you're a historical reality. And that strengthens my faith today. I thank you, Lord, that you came and that you, you really are the focal point of humanity. You split time. And so that every time I celebrate birthday, I, I give testimony to your existence. Thank you for that. Father, I thank you for one another as we stand in the body of Christ so that we would be an encouragement and support to each other. And we present ourselves as we move into this month of December and then into the new year. We need your wisdom and guidance. And we ask and commit ourselves to you now. Come on, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's just uh, sing this beautiful song as we worship one more time this morning.